Well, what's up, Resonate Church? It's good to see you this morning. Hey, uh, if you're dialing in uh, from our other campuses online and also our family out in Hayward, and by the way, starting next week, our Oakland campus is going to join us. So super excited about that. Hey, super glad that you're joining us today on the Thanksgiving weekend. I'll just start like this. Uh, this weekend, we've had a lot of opportunities to thank God for many things, and one of those happens to be you. I'm so thankful, Hayward. I'm so thankful, Oakland. I'm so thankful for wherever you're tuning in that you're joining us today. Um, I, I just think I see God more clearly because you are in my life, and I'm so glad that you've committed today to come and to worship the God who is worthy of all of our worship. Amen? Amen. Hey, so uh, we are actually in a very short sermon series called Slave to, I mean, uh, Freedom from Slavery. And um, it's, Pastor Jim preached a message last week. It was like 1A. This is going to be like the 1B part. And, and we're talking about the stewardship of money and how money enslaves us, how we need to be set free. And this is the perfect weekend to talk about it because you know that we are in the Black Friday season. And you know what that means, right? Black Friday, it means that we will buy things that we don't need, okay, and spend money that we don't have to impress people we don't like. And so that's, that's what it's all about. In fact, Black Friday started from the 1960s where um, the local stores and the merchants were actually in the red financially. And so they came up with a br- brilliant campaign to say, hey, what would it look like if we uh, get, gave like a perceived radical sale so that we would move from the red to black? And that's why they call it Black Friday. In fact, as they go black, you and I go red. That's what it looks like. And so when we do that, um, uh, we spend a ton of money. And in 2022, um, we as American consumers have spent more money than we we've ever spent before in the history of our country, we spent $20 billion just this week. $20 billion. And in 2023, uh, we are to even surpass that milestone. And so we love consuming. We love spending. And this is why I think the Bible has a lot to say about how we use and spend money. And so we're going to take a look at this portion of Scripture where God says, you can't worship both money and me. And you will realize very shortly that money is not just a practical issue, it's not just a stewardship issue, but it is a spiritual issue. And that's why um, uh, Jesus preached a series of sermons called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And if I could just take a big picture, uh, just pan out and show you the bigger picture of all the themes of the sermons that he preached, it basically goes like this. It says, um, basically, everything that is wrong and that we struggle with here in this world is not necessarily a behavior problem. It's not a behavior problem. You know what kind of problem it is? It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. In other words, when it comes to money, it's not because we haven't uh, clung closely to our spreadsheet. The real issue is we haven't clung closely enough to our Savior. And this is the reason why you and I are enslaved to money, that we make money uh, a focal point of our lives. It, it creates great anxiety for us. And for some of us, it goes beyond that. We depend on money to provide happiness, significance, and also security. And so the Bible will teach us, instruct us, and encourage us in ways that I don't think it, it can outside of a time like this. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn to Matthew chapter 6, 
and again, a series of sermons that Jesus preaches. I'm just re-preaching his sermon. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. And, and I'll pray once again that the Holy Spirit preach a better sermon than the one that you're about to hear from me. And if you are able in all of our campuses, would you just stand up from wherever you are? Would you just stand up in the reading of God's word? Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. This is the word of the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That is the word of the Lord for this great Thanksgiving weekend Sunday. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. We'll ask two questions today. The question is, how does money enslave us? It's very practical. How does it enslave us? And secondly, how can we be set free from it? And it's a part two of the message that um, Pastor Jim preached last week. And so first, let's ask the question, how does money enslave us? Two things here that we see. First, money blinds us and binds us. It blinds us and it binds us. Where do we see that? Verse 22, we'll just work our way up from the bottom Jesus gives a curious analogy here. Verse 22, he says, the eye, of the, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And you say, wait, what are you talking about, Jesus? Now, in context, Jesus is talking about how you can't serve God and mammon and that our eyes are bad to not be able to see that. In essence, it's rather quite simple. It's saying that our eyes, when it's functioning well, can actually receive light. And so our whole body is full of light, meaning we operate as if we could see things in light. But if our eyes are bad and we cannot see and it's not functioning correctly, then not only can we not see the light that is outside, doesn't matter how bright it is, our body is then operating out of darkness. For instance, if you were to be blindfolded and go outside on this sunny day, you will still be blind because not because there's not enough light, but because your eyes are affected, therefore it affects the body. And God uses this illustration to say, when it comes to money, you and I are more blind than we know and therefore we cannot see the things that we want to see or clearly see what we should see and we need to wake up from that we need to somehow heal from that well how do we do it let me just give you some evidence of how blind we are maybe you're thinking well I'm not blind to money I know exactly how much I have in my bank account and God knows better here um, recently I was talking to a brother um he goes here, he's a disciple, he's um, part of MC and leading an MC, and he just wants to disciple people better. He said, Pastor, I, I, I've tried to encourage 
other men how to love their wives, how to read their Bible, how, how we could pray more. I've confessed many things, and uh, people have confessed many things to me, and we've addressed sexual sins, and we talked about everything to live missionally, but there's only one subject that I have a hard time addressing with them. That is money. Would you please tell me why you think that is? Now, that's curious to me. So I'll ask the same question to all of us in all of our campuses. Why is it that money is a private matter? and not a public confessional matter. Why do you think that is? Because as gospel people, you know, because we have the gospel, which means that God sees all of us. I mean, he sees the hidden parts of our own life. Not only the things that we're trying to intentionally hide, but the things that we don't know that exist. God sees it all, and yet he says he loves us. He loves us through and through, amen? That's an an incredible love. That he sees all of us? In between service, somebody said, like, I don't know what incentive God has to love us. It's kind of true. What what are his incentives? I mean, he just only sees our stains and our wretchedness, right? And and, and, in that way, he's so pure in his love. He just loves us for us, to love us. Right, And so that's a glorious thing. So because we find our approval only in him and not ourselves or not in any other person because he's the king of all kings and he's the judge of all judges. And therefore, we don't have to live for somebody else. We don't have to prove anything. So we can share with people. We can be transparent with people because God already knows and he already approves of us. So we don't have to try to live a life in a way where it's secretive. And so gospel people share and they're not afraid to share. And that's why in our MCs and in our church, we say, because God loves you anyway, share away. There's nothing that surprises you, and there's nothing that should surprise us either. And yet, we don't share about money. We don't. Like, oh, we don't want to know. We don't want to know other people's. We don't want want other people to know about our money matters. Isn't that curious? Why is that? I can only tell you why. Because money binds and money blinds. It blinds us. And this is why there's only one sin in the Bible where Jesus says, watch out. He warns us to watch out. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, watch out and be on your guard for all kinds of greed. Why Jesus never says, watch out and be on guard for all kinds of theft. He's like, watch out. You might steal. He doesn't say that. He said, watch out. You might murder. Watch out for all kinds of adultery. He doesn't say that. Why? Because when you are committing adultery, you know exactly what you're doing, right? Nobody has ever committed adultery and look across the bed and say, wait a minute, you're not my wife. Nobody's ever said that ever. You know what you're doing. You are exactly aware, and yet Jesus says, watch out for all kinds of greed because you and I are prone to be greedy and yet not be aware of it. Our eyes are bad, and therefore our bodies are blind and in darkness. So here's an empirical fact. The more money you and I make, the smaller percentage of that income that you and I give away. Do you know that? That's true across the board. All the studies say the smaller your income, the greater percentage of your income you give to charity, give to missions. But the greater the income you know, the lesser percentage of the income you give away. And we have to ask, why does that phenomenon exist? And there's just only one explanation, that is, you and I are enslaved. We're enslaved to money. We're in bondage. In other words, the more money we make or we have, the less money you feel you have. 
Isn't that interesting? And this is how it works. As your income increases, so does your expense, right? And Pastor Jim talked about it elaborately using like a taco illustration. Remember last week? Like the more money you make, the greater expense. It's not more money away. You're like, wow, look at all the gap between what I make now versus what I spend. No, always our spending matches or exceeds what we make. And so say you make five more times the money than you've ever made in your life. Do you actually feel five more times richer? No. You always say, man, I'm still strapped in the same way I was strapped back then. Why? Why is that? How come you make five more times the money that you once made and yet you don't feel five times more richer? Curious. Why? Because you and I are blind. You and I are bound to the enslavement of money to say, I need more. I need to live like this. I need to buy that. I need happiness. I need security. And one of the best ways to open our eyes to our blindness is to examine ourselves. It's to talk about it. Talk about money. You see, nobody goes to the hospital, something's wrong, and you get an MRI, and the doctor gets the MRI results. He says, wow, really interesting how about them warriors? And you're like, oh, that's cool. No, nobody like, what does the MRI reveal, right? We want to know. We're like, doctor, tell me what's going on, right? And so we want a physical examination, but strangely, when the Bible talks about money and it gives us a spiritual examination, it's the only time where we say, we got a spiritual MRI and I don't want to know the results. Please don't tell me what it says. I want to be kept in the blind. I want to be remaining sick to to the devastation of myself and all those people around me. And this is why Jesus says, watch out. He says, be careful for greed. He says, uh, greed will darken the sense of reality for you and me. And that's why there's a saying that goes like this. The last place a Christian is sanctified is his wallet. And in a sense, you could understand that, right? Yeah, because it's a private matter for some. So be aware, God has a tendency, I mean, money has a tendency to blind us and to bind us. But here's the second thing that this passage shows. Uh, Money reveals where our treasure lies. It, It reveals where our treasure is found. Would you look at verse 21? It says, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also, or maybe your affection also. You cannot serve God and money. Now, some of the older translations of the Bible say you cannot serve God and mammon with a capital M, which is like a personal proper noun. What that means is that mammon was actually a Semitic god. It's a false god, false god of money. Now, why does Jesus compare God with money? Well, he's saying that money can be a functional god that you and I serve. And in short, at the root, every money problem, listen to me, is an idol problem. Every money problem that you and I have is an idol problem. Now, I'm not saying that you worship and bow down to a stack of cash in your house. That's not what I'm saying. You see, in the Bible, an idol is anything in your life that takes the place of God. That's what an idol is. Anything that you love or you trust more than God is Uh, your false god or your idol, 
Okay? Let me put it simply this way. When you and I look to something, anything besides God for meaning, significance, security, and even a measure of our um, happiness, that becomes a functional God that replaces the one and true only God. Then idolatry always leads to you living an if and then kind of life. If I have this, then I will be happy. If I have a home, then I will be satisfied. If I have a new car, then I will be joyful. If I have this thing or this job, then I will have, you know, this kind of emotion. If and then, it's so conditional. So could I just give you a definition of idolatry? If you're taking notes, it's when you look to the created for something that only the creator could give you that only the creator was designed to give you, you're looking at it to receive it from something created. You're looking at your idol to give you value, happiness, security, significance. And Jesus says, all those things, if you look at created things to give you that, it's going to let you down. Because you know what? The reality is every idol burns. Every idol burns lets you down. You know how I know? I'm a UCLA fan. And last night, I was let down. Again. And I say, fire Chip Kelly, the head coach. And guess what I'll do? I'll watch him again. Same thing with the Warriors. Oh, you know, Steph Curry is the man. Clay Thompson will be let down. Brock Purdy will be let down. Whatever you worship, Whatever you find significance and worth and happiness will always let us down. Look at, look at the pattern. Here are three things, three ways that we look at money specifically to fulfill us. One, we look to money for our significance, for our significance. When our income becomes our identity or, listen here, when your net worth becomes your self-worth. Mm. Okay, you're looking to money to give use significance. I, I had a friend who recently said, I love hanging out with my rich people friends because they just make me feel really important. And I get to vacation, I get to do things, I get to eat things with them and talk about things that I don't get to do with other people in my neighborhood. And this is what's happening. Those are all good things. Those are not necessarily bad things, except you're only getting significance through that moment, through your net worth. Can I tell you something? That your, net, your, your life's worth your self-worth is not based on your net worth. It doesn't matter how much you have. Or conversely, if you say, if I have so little, then I have little worth. That's not what the Bible says. What the Bible does say, though, is that your net worth is not associated with your self-worth because your self-worth is actually associated with Christ's worth. And because Christ died for you, because God saw fit that you were so worthwhile to send his only begotten son to die for you so that he would live this righteous life. And now he gives you the cloak of his righteousness. You know how much that robe costs? It's priceless because it cost God his son. And he saw fit that you were worth it. That's how much you're worth. So don't let anybody say that your self-worth is based on your net worth. Your worth is always going to be based on how God views you, and he views you as if you've lived Christ's life. That's the gospel, and that's amazing. That is more worth than you could ever, ever imagine. 
Money can't do that. Secondly, we look to money to be our security. You know, you and I sometimes think, well, if I have X amount of dollars, I'll be able to sleep at night. You know, or like, hey, if I'm about to lose my job, then I'm really worried. I got to find another job and we're consumed. And, and here's what we're doing when that happens. You and I are putting trust in our savings rather than our savior. That's what's happening. And Tim Keller tells a story about his seminary professor who once gave this story of giving an advice to a student who wanted to become a missionary, but the parents said, hey, we disapprove of it. We want you to build security first by getting a job and building some wealth so that you can fall back on it when you do return from your little missionary journey. And the professor told the student, hey, tell your parents that we're on a little ball of rock spinning through space called Earth. And that someday, if, if a bigger rock doesn't hit us first, one day under each of us is a trap door that at the end of our life, that trap door will open up and underneath it will be the everlasting arms of God or nothing at all. And the seminary professor said, and you think a little security amount of dollars is going to save you? You think your bank account is going to save you? Money can't secure you. That, that is an enslavement mentality. Third, we look to money to give us happiness. And this is a mindset that basically says, my next purchase is going to give me all my pleasures. You know, I got to get my new iPhone, the next iPhone. I got to get it. Why? Oh, because it's out. Okay, why, why, why do you have to get that? Well, because it's made of titanium. You know, well, what does that do? I don't know, but it's made out of titanium. I got to get it. Or I got to get the new house. I got to get the new toy. And in my case, my new front yard or succulents or whatever. And listen, the reality is that you have things in your house that you have to sell. And you know what that is? Those are all your idols that died. Every single item once you thought was going to bring you happiness. And it lasted a minute, literally. And now you're going to have to get something else to replace that affection. Over and over and over again, it will let you down. Listen, it says, the Bible says, for where your treasure is there, your heart or your joy or your affection will be also. If you want to know where your heart rests, see where your money goes effortlessly and joyfully. It just flies out of your pockets, you know, in, in, in those places. For some of us, money just flies out of our pocket when, it, when we deal with appearance, okay? I, I can't tell you how many ladies or even men out there who spend money on cosmetics or lotion or self-care, okay? Like exorbitant amount of money. I don't even want to know. I don't want to even look at my Amazon account, okay? Basically, I got something just yesterday. I'm, I'm serious. I got something yesterday. It said, snail mucus. <laughs> I'm like, why do we buy this? Oh, it's for skincare. And it's like, it makes my skin look amazing. I'm like, okay, I, I, I like the fact that you look great and you look beautiful, but snail mucus? Come on, man. Like, that's crazy. I'm like, huh? I didn't even ask how much it was. For some of you men, you guys spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on your hobbies and your little equipment and little stick that you swing around to hit a little ball. You do all sorts of crazy stuff and you justify it. Oh, it's the trip with the boys. And it just happens, you know? Same thing with the way we justify for our children and their entertainment, right? Or their help. Man, Disneyland experiences, for some reason, there's no budget. 
It doesn't matter, man. Like, you want a 12th churro this hour? You got it. We're on vacay. You know, or how about when you spend money on their tutoring? It don't matter. Money just flies out of your pockets, right? It don't matter how much it costs. They're getting tutoring. Or, you know, they're, how about their sports? My goodness, man. Like, golly. Like, um, could you just learn to be playing one sport and become a professional so you could pay back the debt that I have? I mean, kind of like, it's just pretty significant, right? Now, I'm not saying snail mucus and golf and children's sports, they're bad things. They're wonderful things. Okay, they're great things that God gives us for us to enjoy. But it can't be your happiness. It can't be your significance. Notice why it's so easy to spend on those things. Do you know what's going on? Follow the money and you'll see where your real God are. Follow the money, and you'll see the God that you worship. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. So where is it most easy for you to spend money on? And that might be your functional God. You see, this is eyes being foggy, being lifted up. And for us to say, maybe I I do have a small enslavement issue. And if so, how can we be set free? How can we be set free today? Three things. Number one, identify your current treasure. Identify your current treasure. And we're going to be short because we kind of talked about it already. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, in the Greek, it literally says, do not treasure treasures on earth do not treasure treasures on earth and when we think about wealth we think about we tend to think about stocks and bank account nothing real liquid or physical you know we're accruing wealth but back then they, you know that they didn't have like currency or they didn't have like you know um, banks and what they did have is material physical stuff like garments were currency spices were currency materials like precious alloys and metals and even stones were a kind of currency and that's why it's basically saying here that if you treasure the physical things on earth you're always going to be anxious why because it could be destroyed it could rust And maybe perhaps the reason why you and I have anxiety today is because our treasure is here on earth. You see, this is why we have anxious feelings. In fact, the late David Foster Wallace once said this, if you worship money and things, then you will never have enough. You will never feel like you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when the time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. You see, Jesus says, if you treasure the things of earth, like the reputation of being smart, then you're always going to feel dumb. If you actually have the treasure of appearance, you're going to always feel ugly. If you have the treasure of wealth, you're always going to feel poor. See, this is what the anxiety is. Because where you put your treasure in, it will eventually let you down. It will burn. And these are what we call 
idols. So much of our fear, so much of our worries, so much of our anxieties come because you and I are treasuring earthly things. So the question is, where is your treasure? Locate them, reflect on it, confess them. And the first part of breaking free from the enslavement of money is to talk about it, identify it. Here's the second thing. Make Jesus then your treasure. Make Jesus your treasure. Well, how do we do that? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus here makes sure that you understand treasuring um, Jesus and money are mutually exclusive. Well, why is that? Because he doesn't talk about a lot of other sins and saying, you know, you cannot, you know, worship fame and me. No, it's like money and me. Why? Because here's the reason why. Because you could actually know Jesus and worship money at the same time. Could I say that again for people in the back? You could actually know Jesus and come to church and learn about Jesus and still worship money at the same time. And Jesus says, I see you. And you can't do it. You can't do it. You either worship mammon or you worship me. And so, why? Because, gosh, our our hearts are so fickle and we tend to worship anything that is here on earth. And so if you want to stop treasuring earthly treasures, you can't just believe in Jesus. You can't just learn about Jesus. You have to treasure him. You have to love him. Your heart has to be smitten by him. And here's what he's saying. Unless you've got me as your treasure, you're not really rich. Because I'm the only currency that won't be devalued. Amen? Unless you got me, you'll never be solid because I'm the only status that you cannot lose. You cannot lose the status of Jesus. Why? Because you can't change Jesus' mind in loving you. It is permanent. So he's saying, treasure me. This is how you could rid of your anxiety because I'm stable. All your idols are not. So how do I make Jesus my treasure? Well, this is how it starts for me. I think about Jesus when I wake up and how he is my treasure. I think about him. That, that you know, Jesus had ultimately a, a treasure too. I mean, think about his ultimate treasures. He was God himself who had the ultimate status. I mean, he was God. There's no greater status than God. You could be a first-class, you know, seat holder, platinum holder, and united, and you're not God. God had the ultimate status. He had the ultimate security. My goodness, he lived in eternity. And he has the ultimate honor. He has angels singing to him. He has the ultimate beauty of his full and lit up glory. And he ultimately has wealth because he created the entire cosmos. Then the, cre- the question is, why did he come to earth? Why? There must have been something that he treasured here more than all the treasures that he had. See? Something here that he didn't have in heaven. And he treasured it so much that he was willing to leave everything, including his glory, behind. And so he was born in the manger. And he was born in an animal trough. And we're getting into that season where we're celebrating 
Christ's deep humility and love for us that he would enter into this world as a naked baby, poor, born not in a bed but in a trough, in a borrowed inn. And he did not own anything in his life you realize that he borrowed a donkey. He borrowed everything. He borrowed even a home for, to have his last meal in. He borrowed everything. The only thing that he owned was the clothes on his back, and he even lost that too. Because on the cross, they stripped him of that, and they got him naked, and they beat him, bloodied to death. They tried to murder him. They, they mocked him. They spat at him, and he did it. And while he was experiencing this crucial, exhaustive, hell-like experience here on earth, he thought of you. He treasured you. He thought, this is all worth it if I have them. In fact, in Isaiah 53, in verse 9, I think through 11, it says, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. Means that he was being beaten. This was a prophecy, and that means he was being beaten, and probably with all the blood running down his face, he was able to open his eyes barely, and just the sting of the blood, the sting of his sweat, the sting of the dirt, the pain, all that, he endured, and yet he pierced out to the crowd, and he saw us, and he said, I'm satisfied. I'm gonna be okay. In 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people purchased for his possession. We are his. And that means you and I are his treasure. And you have to see today that unless you know that he lost all of his treasure so that you could be his treasure, that is the very thing. You have to look at how he felt when he looked at you. He said, if I have them, everything will be worth it. Everything. I'll leave everything. If you reflect on that, and if you see the honor that he gives you and the love and the affection that he gives you, then he will eventually become your treasure. Only then you and I will be free from money. Only then money will only remain as money. It won't be an object to worship. It won't be looked upon for significance self-worth, or even happiness because Christ has fulfilled all those things. Christ is our treasure. You see, here's what grace does. Okay, grace touches our minds, it touches our will, it touches our hearts and emotions, but it goes deeper when grace, if you understand it, it actually disrupts your life. It changes you forever. Grace shocks your soul and absolutely changes all the motivational structures of your life. In your heart, grace literally is the radiation of cancer of greed in your life. If you are greedy, if you're selfish, it is grace that will radiate that into schmitherines. And Paul says, church, if you want to be generous, then you must look at Christ as your treasure. Because though he had all the riches in the world, he utterly was stripped naked and had nothing, left everything for you. Because he thought you were worth it. You were his treasure. And so make him yours. And lastly, and finally, third, invest eternally. Invest eternally. Now this is interesting because Christ doesn't just, just tell us, hey, don't, don't worship the mammon. Don't worship money. 
Don't do that. Don't fall in love with money. Use it as a resource. Don't fall in love with it. He also tells us where to invest it. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not earth. Now listen here. Treasure is the Greek word thesaurus, which means to deposit wealth. Now, the imagery is one of a true businessman making a decision to invest in something that will bring a great return. Do I invest in something that will give me great gratification and a small return or something that will take a bit longer but yield a huge return? And the answer is, Christ says, invest in things that will last, that will not perish. And, you know, I have three children and when they were itty-bitty, I just told them three things over and over and over again as life lessons. And I've told them, number one, it's like, it's not all about your IQ. It's about EQ, too. So learn EQ. Learn how to emotionally connect with people, lead people, care for people, love people, look at them in their eyes, ask good questions. And then my kids always do that because they see the value as a cheat code of life. The second thing is have grit. Learn to do hard things. Don't avoid hard things. Don't run away from hard things. Address it because it's going to serve you later. Third, hey, don't always seek instant gratification, but learn the delayed gratification, meaning when you invest in something in the longer run, you will yield a greater fruit, including heaven. And I've taught them this over and over and over again. And I say this to us too. Don't Be people who instantly gratifies yourself, sticking it in your mouth and eating it. Okay, those are just calories. Eat something nutritional, something that will build you up, your muscles, whatever it is. Randy Alcorn says this, financial planners tell us, when it comes to your money, don't think of just three months or three years ahead. Think 30 years ahead. And Christ, the ultimate investment counselor, takes it further. He says, don't ask how much your investment will be paying off in just 30 years. Ask how it will be paying off in 30 million years. Now ask yourself this. In what areas have you spent money in the last seven days that will pay off in 30 million years? Probably, for most of us, not very much. And yet, Jesus is saying, will you invest in the kingdom of God? Because it will last and it will yield a great return. Spend on building up people for the kingdom of God. And, you know, um, I, I said this in the first service. I'll say it again because it's not in my notes. But I read this morning just a devotional. And it was Charles Spurgeon. I read a quote that just blew my mind. He said, there's no crown bearers in heaven that hasn't been a cross bearer on earth. I'll say that again. There's no crown bearers, people who wear Jesus' crown in heaven if they hadn't already first been cross bearers here on earth. Meaning if you think you could just spend on yourself and just, you know, gratify yourself, instant gratification, and at the very end, like insurance, you shout out, I believe in Jesus, and think that you're going to bear crowns eternally, you are sorely mistaken. You're deeply mistaken. You have not read your Bible. And so Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, he has a drawing of a dot that represents our life on earth and a long line that represents eternity. And he says, don't invest in the dot. Invest in the line. Invest in the line. And that's why Martin Luther said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. 
but whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Whatever you put in God's hands, you can never lose. Whatever you put outside of God's hands, you will lose. Every single thing. And I'll just close with this. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16, here Jesus told them another parable saying this. Listen to this. This is a warning for all of us. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Now, there's some people in this room, too, like, we're really good at making money, and we have a lot of resources. He's like, what should I do with all this riches? And he said, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Do you see what he's doing? He's like, man, I bought another car, but my house doesn't fit. So I'll just buy a new house. What more garages? More and more and more. And then he says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many, many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Do you see what he's doing? He's using his resources as money as security. He said, don't worry, be anxious. He's using it for his primary means of happiness. This is what he's doing. But God, he said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, even, you're not going to be able to live without, you know, to even enjoy some of the things that you thought you're going to enjoy. And you, don't, you can't even determine who it's going to go to because you won't be here. And he goes on to say, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Not rich towards God. Where do you find most joy in your life? Is it the things of earth or is it in heaven where Christ dwells? Are you finding joy in building larger sheds on earth? Or are you rich towards God? And this is the most essential question that you and I could answer today so that we could be free from the bondage of money. What do you love giving towards? What do you love? What do you love giving towards? Where does money just fly out and just say, hey, no problem. I have no problems giving. I have no problems spending. You know, two of my favorite things on earth are food, you knew that. And my kids, you might know that. I love them both. You know, and my kids are foodies. You know what that means? My kids eat expensive stuff. That's what it means. They choose expensive stuff. And I remember the time when each of them grew from the child menu of eating mac and cheese and hamburgers and pizza to all of a sudden filet mignon, sushi, and oysters. And I remember that thinking, wow, they, they're, uh, my wallet is going to be strapped because all this money um, is going to go to just feeding their exquisite taste buds. But you know what was not strapped? My heart. My heart just exploded. I loved when every single one of my kids said, Dad, could we just go out to eat sashimi? And I'm like, yes. Yes, son. And you could have some too. <laughs> I love it. Because I love my children. And I love food. And when they get to experience something that I love, my wallet just like, I have no problem spending. 
whatever it is, man, you get to have it. Man, we're going to eat and be merry. I'm so glad that you're enjoying those things. And could I just ask for all of us, is that the mindset and the heart set that do you have towards God and his kingdom? Do you always just say, yeah, whatever you want, God, have it. It's a joy to serve you. It's a joy to spend it on you because you put it in my pockets first. Everything that I have is yours and it is a pleasure and a joy to build your kingdom because I love you and that you have made me your treasure and so I want to make you mine. Is it easy to spend on God? I hope it is because when you do that, you know that you're no longer enslaved by money. Hey, let's pray. Father, help us to invest in the things that will last forever. Whatever that is in your hand, we cannot lose. Whatever we don't place in your hands but ours, we will lose, every single one. So I pray that our church will be full of people that just trust you with everything that we have. And we're glad to do it. It's not out of discipline that we have to give, but we do it joyfully. That just money and finances and things, we just trust you with it. It's just flying out because why? Because we find our joy in you because you are our treasure. Help us to invest not in the dot, but on the line. Help us to be cross bearers now so that we could be crown bearers tomorrow. And as Pastor Scott and I even talked in between this service, he gave me the imagery of you one day laying a crown on my head. How ridiculous. How ridiculous of a thought. That you will put a crown on my head because of the small faithfulness that I lived here on earth. What an investment. I can't even imagine it. But the scriptures tell us that you will. So we believe it. Help us to be those people. We pray in the matchless name of our King and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's give Him worship. Amen.